This is an irreverent podcast. Check out irreverent.fm for shows from all our friends. Hello and welcome to Exvangelical, a podcast about exploring the world inside and outside of American evangelicalism. I'm your host, Blake Chastain. In this very first episode, we'll be having a conversation with Dr. Jonathan Dodrell. He's one of my oldest friends and an American religious historian. John and I met at a small Christian college in the Midwest, and throughout this conversation, we talk about what led us there, how that experience uh, formed us, and how we've changed since then. We also talk a lot about um, the history of evangelical politics, and we can't avoid talking about the current election cycle and how evangelicals fit into that. I do want to apologize, um, first off, um, about the audio quality of the conversation itself. Um, Our second mic went on the fritz right as we were about to record, and we ended up having to record on one mic in the middle of one large room on one large table, and you can absolutely tell. So I apologize about that, but the content itself is good, and I hope that you enjoy it. So let's get into episode one of Exvangelical. Thanks very much. All right, John, now it's serious. I'm actually recording. Blake, I'm ready to embark on this new adventure that you have in podcasting. Uh, I think I have a lot of insight to offer on things of religion and politics. Sure you do. And more importantly, as we edit this one amazing (laughs) podcast, we will be using the great music of the band, the late band, John Blake. John Blake, a.k.a. a.k.a. You know, they went through a lot of faces. Yeah, Huxley's Red. Huxley's Red was a good name. I actually read that passage of Huxley's Red description of a sunset to my uh, first year class last yeah. year. Yeah. So with that. Ah, that's a very lovely intro from John Blake. John Blake. <laughs> coming nowhere near you. <laughs> All right, so... Uh, this is uh, a podcast of Exvangelical uh, coming to terms with a messed up subculture. That's the little tagline I'm trying to <laughs> I'm trying out. I like it. Uh, anyways, so um, my name is Blake, and I'm here with my uh, longtime buddy John Dodrell. And my last name, if we're gonna last name last name it out there. My last name's Chastain. There it is. There you go. So, anyways, uh, we're here to talk about messed up religious things, I guess, for lack of a better term. Um, yeah, so let's, uh, let's talk. How did we meet? So, I think that's a good starting point. I think one of, uh, for all context's sake, I think it might be good to talk about a very formative experience that we both shared in which we met, which was going to... Not evangelical. We went to a fundamentalist college. (laughs) And I think people need to be aware and okay with using the term fundamentalist. Because, and I'm sure we'll get into this and this or sometime down the road, uh, the term evangelical has been co-opted. And I think a lot of people use that kind of understanding. But it's true. The people who say that they're evangelical really are fundamentalist. And we went to a fundamentalist holiness Christian college by the name of Beep. Um, so, so yeah, so we met at. Uh, we did. And uh, and coming off of our own evangelical experiences, mm-hmm. and I would say, so I was coming to college off of a 
I partied like three times in high school. I felt guilty about drinking and making out with girls, and therefore I was going to hell. So therefore I needed to go to fundamentalist Christian college in order to regain my salvation. And we're in, and uh, coming to evangelical college, I realized the one true way to be Christian, which is pretty problematic, considering the various ways of being Christian in the history of the world. So that's my kind of uh, thesis on coming to college. Yeah, so for me, um, I actually, uh, I grew up in Indiana, then in in high school moved to uh, Illinois, suburbs of Chicago. Um, I I totally claim Chicago, by the way. (laughs) Actually, I never did. I'm a good person. <laughs> no kidding. Just <laughs> say where you're from. <laughs> so, anyways, I, um, I, I, I don't know. I was fairly pretty religious kid, especially in high school. Did like the like huge '90s surge of youth group culture kind mm-hmm. of. I was like right in that shit, and uh, um, I thought I wanted to be a pastor, and that I only went to Christian schools. I think I applied to three schools. Anyways, that's what led me there, and then I was a history and biblical literature major. And I chose an easy major to be a youth ministry major, where we <laughs> learned how to order pizza and have parties. Yes. So the one thing I am not currently is a youth pastor. <laughs> so irony of all ironies. And I am not a pastor. I actually did not pursue that at all. <laughs> no, no, you did not. So, so anyways, I uh, yeah. Um, we, we go back almost 15 years. Holy now. cow. More no, than 15. More, more than, than 15 years. Yeah. Because we're old bastards. We're not old bastards now. Yeah, that's okay. And speaking of, and this leads us into this topic, one of the first times. So I remember a freshman year conversation when you. I. So, yeah, I was just. I was trying to explore and leave. I always feel like I've always tried to leave room for different thoughts. And I think I made a comment about how abortion might be okay, and you stormed into your room and stormed back out with a picture of, like, a mutilated fetus to shove it all of our faces. Like, gee, holy cow. Oh, that's that was that was sure. that was you. That was you freshman year. But by the end, by senior year, you were voting for a Democratic nominee for president, and that's right. me and a few others were uh, praying for. We were praying for your salvation because right. how in the world could you be a Democrat and a Christian at the <laughs> same time? Which is a very late '90s, early 2000s phenomenon. Yeah, I think. Yeah. So. I, uh, yeah, so let's see. I was, uh, we met the first day of college, literally the first day. Um, you, you actually had a good number of friends just because of, like, the weird West Coast Oh, God. Uh, but anyways, um, yeah, uh, I, I wanted to be a pastor. I actually remember, like, one of the things that, like, immediately, okay, I never knew about curfew before we came there. Yeah, that was weird. I didn't know about that either. And, like, and the rated R thing. Um, we couldn't watch R rated movies. Couldn't yeah. watch R rated movies. No. We had. Uh, oh my god. I didn't know that either. I just thought I was signing a thing that said I was Christian, not that I was a toddler. Yeah, no R rated movies. Curfew. No dancing. No girls in your room. No fun. No nothing. Yeah. No being treated like uh, illegal adults in any. 
any capacity. Whatsoever. No, because we were children. But anyways, um, I remember like uh, you know being very serious about things, and I remember people like would make jokes about like, "Are you even a Christian?" And it would like super piss me off. Like that was like a joke, and he started to realize that it made me mad and like, actually apologized. <laughs> That's nice of him. Yeah. Doesn't seem like him. So, anyways, I don't know. Um, he, uh, yeah. I, I don't know. Things started really fast. Like, I got disillusioned quickly. I don't know about you, but I got super disillusioned, and <laughs> I don't know. Um, things unraveled. It, it definitely unraveled sophomore year when I was like, supposed to be a floor chaplain and shit. Yeah, I remember that. It was a dark time. No, it was a dark time. And I went the opposite way. I bought in. I think I came more open-minded because I, I mean, my parents are pretty conservative evangelical, but the town I grew up in was very progressive. And then all of a sudden I was in this conservative bubble and I just bought in. And I recently... Recently, being years ago, went back and read my senior statement of faith from college, and holy cow, does it sound like a fundamentalist freak show. Wait, college senior year? College senior, no, college senior year. It's like after, like going through college, I became this like tool of the fundamentalist machine, essentially, (laughs) because I escaped to seminary. Um, But no, it it was a very repressive time. It was a formative time. I think, and um, this is part of a larger issue. I would say there's a there's a movement of fundamentalist colleges that are shaping a voting block as well as a general population to think a very specific way. I mean, how could it be that? I mean, I would cons- consider myself even then to be a thinking person. I literally thought somebody, a close friend of mine, voting for a Democrat could not go to heaven. How does that phenomenon happen? Yeah. And so that kind of dovetails into, so I was a history major and the history department was just this, this enclave, um, uh, this like stronghold of conservative thinking. I, I had to take a class and it was probably actually the, the thing, the book that you mentioned that I had brought in, um, with a picture of a fetus or whatever. It was probably from this course, <laughs> which was uh, a, a, a really uplifting course about abortion and infanticide fan, and euthanasia. Oh, holy cow. That most of the history uh, and poli-sci, anyone that was in that social sciences department uh, that was pursuing a major in, rel- in relation to that probably had to take it at some point. And I, in that class... <laughs> I in that class once at thought or deigned to say, shouldn't we forgive these people as Christians? And my professor jumped on my throat and said that they were murderers. And I was deeply embarrassed. <clears throat> and uh, so... Unbelievable. So, and that was just, you know, trying to explore, um, basically trying as a young person trying to explore my moral convictions about those right to life issues, right? you know, end of life, beginning of life issues. Mm-hmm. And like, uh, my professor was super 
conservative and not hiding it. And uh, it was like a huge shock. And then I think for me, uh, having uh, professors in the history department that were extremely conservative, and then also being in the religion department where the professors were more liberal than the students, which never happens. Nope. It was like a weird, it was it was a weird thing to feel like on both sides. <laughs> like, yeah. Like I was too liberal for my professors in history and too liberal for my colleagues <laughs> well, except for one. Well, yeah, that's not even true. No, you but, were. You were the one. But I mean, I mean, there were there were like uh, of my of my close the people I would take courses with, all that sort of stuff. It was you know, it was very strange to be because I wasn't all that liberal at the time either. I was just like not flirting with the Democratic Party. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, so let's talk about that. Like, the fact that we had, we were both, we took a lot of religion classes together. And we definitely had instances where the students refused to, just out of some sort of weird principle, refused to believe the things that the professors were Mm -hmm. teaching. And now that you are on the other side and have had, let's see, let's give your credentials. Oh, so since, since uh, uh, seminary for the master's program for three years, and then PhD for close to eight years, all in religion, mm-hmm. and now teaching classes on my own, both in the seminary and undergraduate level. Um, and it's it is weird being at you know the front of the classroom and realizing like what I thought of my professors then I don't know if they think of that of me now but like there were certain people I hung on to every word they said but it's wild how much blind faith you can put into people until they hit a certain moral stomping ground for you and with religion it's very specific abortion stuff gay stuff um, and weirdly enough, guns. <laughs> these are, I mean, these become religious issues, and they're somehow coldly. I mean, and I, I mean, you can understand. Obviously, not that I agree, but you can understand why, like the homosexual, transgendered, blah, blah, all that whole group. That in religion, there's contentious points, and abortion and religion, there are some contentious points. But what are we talking about with guns? What are we talking about? Didn't exist. No idea. And it's just, I think it's just proof that, like, how the NRA and others have kind of, like, weaseled in, you know, Constitution, Second Amendment rights into, like, a religious kind of understanding of American Christianity, emphasis on being American Christianity, because it's kind of taken on a life of its own. Um, no, so it's wild. So when I, when I talk in class about these things, I'm very hesitant to come off very strongly Mostly because I want people to think for themselves, but also because you can lose people very quickly that way. Because as we, and going back to all this, there are certain people who will just put up a wall when you broach these subjects. Like, you cannot convince me that a gay person can X, Y, and Z. Or you cannot convince me that abortion is ever okay. Or whatever, you know, whatever these kind of, like, hard lines are. Um, In college, that really comes out, I think, in classes. Especially in religion. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, 
we had, I would say, our religion department that we were a part of definitely did not emphasize things like the JEDP source of, of you know. Nope, I didn't even learn that until I was out of there. Like, I mean, I think, I, I know I took a couple of Old Testament courses. I wasn't as interested in Old Testament just as a point of fact. I just wasn't as interested in it. Um, <clears throat> but uh, even so, that was like, it was just kind of off to the side. But the only courses where you would actually talk about, say, the textual history of the Bible, which is massively important, <laughs> and actually it serves to, and actually it serves as the the foundation for a lot of the ways that you can refute fundamentalist beliefs. They weren't discussed outside of like Greek classes, right? Um, which I think is fairly like the the Greek professors would would be able to say things. They would be able to say things like, you know, there are multiple sources for these texts, uh, and they disagree. But you know, the Holy Spirit, blah blah blah. The Holy Spirit covers it all. I mean, covers their ass too. Covers their ass, absolutely. Um, you know, because you don't want to admit human error in anything ever. Especially not if it's an inerrant text. Yeah. Which is also a problem. Yeah. So, to me, uh, like, I don't know, that was that was such a weird thing to be in a church history course or in a inductive Bible study course and have, have the students, like, telling the professors who have 30 years more experience than them yeah. <laughs> that they were wrong. Right. Uh, um, I don't know. It was such a odd phenomenon. Um, but yeah, since during that time, uh, for me, I, I during college I went through significant crisis of faith. Um, you know, had developed. You know, then became much more cynical because I saw a lot of the. Uh, I don't know because I saw the conflation of politics with religion in a lot of different ways um, that didn't seem to add up to me and then and then on top of that just like crazy irrational things and and that's just part of being young and religious and weird and well and it's coming into your own too yeah. right I mean it, that's that's one of the biggest downfalls of fundamentalist evangelicalism is that it's so enculturated that unless you go back specifically to that culture you're on your own and you're not and they'll even talk about it this way like you're not able to stand on your own faith blah 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 like you're just not be able to you can't interact with society because you don't have their language like we were joking about before, like when you joke about, you know, the the Lord has me doing this. Like, well, what are you talking about? Like, you just went to 7-Eleven to get a Gatorade. Like, that's not, <laughs> the Lord isn't in that. Like, you just made that decision and you did it. Yeah. Um, but that is very much, like, if you're in that community, and we even heard stories about this, about, you know, the Lord told me to get Gatorade, and I found out later that if I had not had that Gatorade, I wouldn't have been hydrated, and I would have died. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> you might be reading a lot into a past event, 
And that's, you know, that once you come out of that world where those kinds of statements are just so bizarre to the rest of the world, like you kind of lose that identity and it becomes a huge fucking crisis because it's not just your faith in God or Jesus or whatever. It is your whole way of being is totally challenged. Absolutely. And I, yeah, I mean, Christianity is weird enough. You already believe a dude died and came back to life. Born of a virgin, of course. Yeah. There's already a lot of things that take a significant leap of faith to yeah. to espouse. So uh, why do you have to have this weirdo worldview of, like, how things happen? Yeah. Yeah. Um, totally with you. So, after college, I dedicated myself to studying religion because I was very fascinated by this was uh, very interested in still becoming a pastor that obviously wasn't going to happen. Um, and I really, I, I went on to PhD work because I wanted to find the path that these 19th, 19th century progressive evangelicals became these ultra conservative fundamentalist evangelicals. Um, I decided not to write on that because I didn't want to be depressed reading, writing, and researching for three years. But that's been a question that I've had for a long time and something that I've kind of paid attention to, but also through that study have kind of like gotten over and have um, been able to make peace with it by divorcing one very specific thing, God and God's quote-unquote people. Because I think there are a lot of people that seek to speak for God or the church they really have no business doing so. I mean, from the televangelists like Benny Hinn and Joel Olstein and all that kind of bull crap to James Dobson, who this week, today, or yesterday, said Donald Trump is a new born-again Christian. That just happened like 72 hours ago. And see, he pigeonholes people against that by saying you can't know a person's heart. No, you can't, but you can know what they say. And it's pretty clear, even in the past 72 hours, he said some pretty horrific thing about people that if Jesus were around today, he would obviously care about poor people, people of color, immigrants, Middle Eastern people, and people of different faiths. Um, So somebody like that has ruled with an iron fist over fundamentalist evangelicalism, um, but is doing so for what reason? And I think that is the ultimate question that people not just aren't willing to ask, but are afraid to ask. Mm-hmm. Because if you really dig into it, he's not just building his folks on the family empire or trying to keep families together or even just keeping gay people from getting married. He is seeking power for a very select group of people. Mm-hmm. So let's break down what you said about... You, you grouped together two words that you said fundamentalist evangelicalism. Yes. And do you think that at any point you are a religious American religious historian? That's your that is your job. It's my thing. That's your thing. And I mean, I did some master's work on evangelical politics related to environmentalism and the financial crisis of two thousand eight. Yeah. So I have. Not the depth that you have, but I have enough, I have experience in exploring these things. So let's talk about those two phrases, fundamentalist and evangelicalism. And were they always together? Were right. they always, you know, were they always 
put together or were at one point where they're fundamentalists. And even John, yeah, right. And you'll and you'll notice that I said even and it it would not be popular for people who are our fellow alumni to say that our school is a fundamentalist evangelical school. They wouldn't say that um, because fundamentalism is such a pejorative word, um, especially now with you know Islamic fundamentalism and all that. Like that's but even before then, fundamentalism has been associated with anti-intellectualism, sexism, racism. Anti everything decent ism, um, but the fact is, if you look at the different categories of like what we went to school with and who these people are, James Dobson and that crew, they say evangelical, but they are not the true heirs of evangelicalism. Of course, I'm one guy saying this, but I that they're not. They are fundamentalists. Um, so to answer part of your question, this is all how you categorize people. Um, and different people of different faith groups and how they kind of coalesce into one kind of either belief system or to different causes. So ultimately, evangelicalism predates fundamentalism. Um, That's because fundamentalism was really birthed out of um, a reaction to modernism. And when when people think about that, they think about just Darwin. And actually, evangelicals were okay with Charles Darwin when he wrote his book in 1870-whatever. But when it became popular in the 1890s, then they freaked out. Because all of a sudden, if man came eventually from a primate, then the 6,000-year history that the Old Testament talks about is no longer true. But it's not just Darwinism, like... Sociology, psychology, anything that was a modern kind of discipline, they totally rejected because it threatened their way of thinking, threatened their way of interpreting the Bible, and threatened, more importantly, their way of influencing other Christians. Um, And also there was, uh, specific to Christianity, there was high criticism of, high criticism and the textual criticism of the Bible. Um, that also was concurrent with all those other things. Right, yeah. And, so, and, and, and then became this kind of like this self kind of historicity of the Bible of it's always been inerrant. No, it hasn't. Inerrancy was a word that was invented in the 19th century. Nobody really thought about it. I mean, it wasn't that they didn't think that necessarily, is that they didn't defend that as a thing because they didn't have the option to have a scientific worldview. And there were Christians even then that were trying to correctly coalesce these two things of like, yeah, I mean, it's pretty evident that the world is not 6,000 years old and that Adam wasn't fighting off dinosaurs to provide for his family. It's just not a thing. But that's okay. That means that God still exists and is very much the author of creation. Um, So going back to like these two groups of evangelicals and fundamentalism, the best way I've found, and I'm not going to look this up, but there are three German words that mean evangelical. Um, and I, I could pull up this article that I wrote before, but one of them refers to Reformation Christianity, so Protestantism and all of that jazz. One refers to the British Isles and those kind of Christians and Protestants who tried to move it beyond the Reformation. And then the third is fundamentalist Americans, because it really wasn't until you get to America that you had this such a strong reaction to anything 
other than a very specific evangelical fundamentalist Christian understanding. We're going to have to edit that part out because that's, that's, that's not correct. <laughs> that's very, that's uh, just correct. So, that, so um, yeah. So American fundamentalists are the third and final possible. Right. Punishment. Yeah. So, I mean, and so that's, and I think Jim Wallace tries to make this point in his book. I can't remember what it's called, but it's the one that was really popular like 10 years ago. God's politics? Yep. Probably. Um, and because he traces all these 19th century evangelicals who made such a difference, which is what I focused on in my dissertation, was the people who were on the ground making a difference for immigrants, women, the poor, um, doing things like trying to clean the streets so people wouldn't die of, you know, unsanitary conditions. But the part that he doesn't talk about and the part that the fundamentalists kind of grab onto is there's this whole group of people who are not just anti-new thought, but they're anti-immigrant, they're anti-women, they're anti-poor, they're anti-anything that isn't their group of people establishing themselves in a primary place of influence. So if you go along and take the Chicago architectural tour and you see all the nice churches along the river and along the coast and Old Town and downtown, those are the churches of power. Do you know how many immigrants went to those churches? None. Do you know how many women were super involved in the leadership of those? None. People of color? Absolutely not. This was this is white bread power. I mean, and they wouldn't ever be that way now, but that was kind of the start of this um, anti-immigrant, anti-everything that's not, quote-unquote, the American ideal, and coalescing that with Christianity. So it's this weird kind of bringing together of politics, identity, religion, um, and that's... Unfortunately, it, I mean, it's come in, it has come in waves, and we are seeing a massive resurgence right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. I thought things were bad when we were in college, but it's... Now George Bush looks great right now. Oh, my gosh. Comparatively, I'd vote for him in a heartbeat. Yeah. He All was, we have to do is go to war with one country? <laughs> Not an entire religion? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I, I, he was a credible candidate. I mean... He was good. He was a credible candidate. I'm sa- say, yeah, I'm not saying I love the guy. I mean, I've, oh God, shut up. Come on, man. I voted for him twice. Twice. <laughs> oh, God. It's so embarrassing. You know what? Whatever. Uh, it is what it is. I know it is. But, I mean, the, to the point, I mean, and this will be for a later podcast with somebody who knows more about politics than I do, but, like, the radical shift of the Republican Party to go from where they were to such an extreme far right it's unbelievable and it's and and you would think by backing such a wealthy self-aggrandizing that the christian community be like well no that's that's not what we're about like the, i mean be anti-gay be anti-abortion be blah 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 but they can't get around a guy who's like a multi-billionaire who puts down women and people of other religions, but they have done exactly that because they blindly follow bullshit leadership. Yeah, and I think that's very evident in uh, Jerry Falwell Jr. I mean, you invite him to your Christian college and he says his favorite verse is in 2 Corinthians. (laughs) He didn't even bother to have an aide help him figure out that it's 
pronounced second Corinthians. Maybe I can get that job and could pay me to uh, subcontract. I would, <laughs> I would sell it all out, right? Yeah, it's the right price tag. Yeah. So I, I, I totally agree. It's, uh, I, I'm pr- quite appalled at uh, the reaction of evangelicals to simply back someone solely because they are the Republican candidate. Yeah. It shows a complete and utter lack of critical thoughts. Um, and... And you've said something very important. I think that... Um, and this is going to make a lot of people angry, but evangelicals don't think critically. I mean, even the colleges, the liberal arts colleges, with the point of an, a liberal arts college is to think critically. Yeah, you might be a business major, a biologist, or whatever, but you will be taught to think critically. And evangelicals have squashed that kind of way of thinking, and they've placed loyalty and some notion of orthodoxy, which nobody has the corner marketed on, above all that, and to fall in line and to vote for a cause. And of course that cause is one thing. Abortion. Abortion. Which is so devious because it's a, I mean, well, I mean, historically, the Southern Baptist Convention praised the Southern Baptist Convention praised Roe v. Wade at the time, and it was yes, absolutely. Uh, I mean, the only people that were actually ever staunchly anti-abortion consistently are not evangelicals, but are in fact Catholics, right? Because Catholics in the seventies and eighties, and this is getting into some of um, some of my research and and my uh, background uh, for my master's thesis. In the seventies and eighties, there was something called the consistent life ethic, mm-hmm. and that was something that was espoused by political Catholics. In that, it was the beginning and end of life. So you were pro-life and you were anti-death penalty. Yeah, because life itself is sacred not just a specific life for nine months right yeah even so and that when you think of the that the founder of your religion is killed via capital punishment right there is a pretty direct correlation there that you yeah. might want to be against those sorts of practices yeah but see it worked out for him because then he got to be the leader of an entire religion and so maybe we don't want to prevent the next guy from doing that, right? I mean, so we were born in the 80s. And ever since I was born, the line has been vote Republican Roe v. Wade. We're going to overturn it. And so, as we mentioned before, Bush twice. Um, Reagan was was president for a decent part portion of our lifetime yeah when we were when we were very young when we were yeah. the 80s through the 80s was. and so even and until we were out of college the only president that wasn't a republican was bill clinton and abortion is still legal so the promises that i was made you vote republican you fall in line you do this moral thing and it's going to be better we're gonna get. We're gonna overturn Roe v. Wade. We're going to appoint, you know, Supreme Court justice. And I went through. It was a while ago, but I went through and looked how many. And I can't quote it for you. I looked through how many Supreme Court justices Bush and Reagan appointed. 
Sorry. Reagan, right? Uh, yeah, Reagan. Yeah, right. Reagan and Bush. Could have overturned it in a heartbeat. But it didn't happen. Do you know why? Because evangelicals are a pawn group of the Republican Party. Absolutely. They're and not as big as they think they are. And I think that uh, that's the thing that really actually kind of upsets me the, the most. And is that they they are just being used as a voting block. They every every four years there are surveys about the number of evangelicals that there are, all those different things, and um, and what it really comes down to is they're only used and used is the right word. Absolutely, they are being used. Uh, just every. National election. Right. I mean, do you think it's any wonder that just now, was it June? In June, that Donald Trump is making some kind of proclamation of not just being a Christian, because he's already said that, but very specifically, he has said he has accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior. Now, what does that smack of? Evangelicalese. So now he's trying to get in, not just with a Christian community, but of an evangelical community. And with somebody like James Dobson promoting him, he gets it. And the people who don't think critically, who think, oh, he's going to try now, and he already has the values that I espouse of don't take away my money, I don't want those Muslims coming to my country, and don't take away my guns. He's the ideal candidate. Yeah. He's like a Christian, he's like an evangelical mercenary. <laughs> I, I think... Politically, it's just a it's just a torrid history of this weird combination of very savvy political leaders and lobbyists who actually in some way do kind of believe these things in their heart. But at the same time know that they are that they are completely fooling all of these people as well. I know that that was the case even with, like, you know, there would be profiles of Bush when he would, you know, he would very sincerely say to his aides, like, I need to pray about this, you know? Yeah. Which, sure, fine. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, live your live your faith out. Right. Whatever. But, when it, when it came time to hit the campaign trail, you know, and I mean, even this, even this, this election cycle during the primaries, you had Marco Rubio saying, I'd "First of all, I'd like to thank my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ." Yeah, like at an accepted speech. Or right, what voting block is he getting with that? Right, I mean that's yeah, that's what this is. And and to me, it's just a I don't know. Well, it's how a, how can you continue to live your life? And no relation to this is going to change on this point. But if you are an evangelical who blindly votes for that, how can you continue to live your life getting behind somebody who just uses the phrase that you identify with? Like, you have to dig deeper. He, that's not it. That's not the only component of Mark Rubio. Is it Marco Rubio? Marco. Man, there we go. Marco. Yeah. Whatever. He is not an evangelical. He's not a Christian. Yeah. The way that he lives his life out and the way that he expresses his policies, like, it's just not 
historic, quote-unquote, Christianity. I mean, if all it takes is a 30-second clip to buy in, I don't know, man. Maybe we should have certain laws about who can vote. (laughs) Because I don't care about your ID, but if you can't think more than 30 seconds, you shouldn't be determining the future of 300 million people. And the uh, world's largest military and the world's second largest... Second... Largest economy? I don't remember. It's where a big are. one. <laughs> where we are in relation. It's a lot of money. <laughs> no. Where we are in relation to China. But it's I don't true. know. But to me, uh, yeah. But I mean, that's true. And that's, I think, evangelicals, evangelical fundamentalists, are holding on to a slipping grasp of power. Like, they don't, people don't care anymore. Like, candidates aren't going to pedal to them. I mean, even in uh, Barack's book, when he, I don't know, I'm sure he didn't write it, but whatever book came out that he, quote, wrote, um, there was a chapter on his faith, and he recounts this very specific um, experience of being at Trinity, Trinity Church down in Hyde Park, of where he, like, gets out of his seat and feels his legs trembling and goes forward to the altar and like have an experience and that is that is just so pandering to evangelicals like he didn't make a big deal about it but he had evidence of it enough to kind of win over some of that crowd and it's just so embarrassing it won me over not like I was going to vote for the other guy but I mean it won me over I was like oh he is one of me but why has that become such an important component of voting for somebody? And not just somebody, president. Because I guarantee you, people don't know that they're congressman, they're senator, they're alderman, they're city sanitation person. They have no idea what their spiritual kind of like journey is. And so it just, it just becomes a farce. Yeah. Why is Christianity in the White House the deal? Because people believe in some kind of odd theocracy, like God is going to bless the country for having a evangelical Other Christian. Show he made wavy. I did make wavy. Yeah, God. So, I mean, my professional opinion would be God is not going to bless the country specifically based on a individual in a certain position. Like that's not how this works. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I was going to say something and I totally forgot. Oh, the other thing is, is um. Interestingly, again, with this particular election cycle that we're in, they Clinton actually has has a public record of being a Christian. Yeah, like it's public record. Like she's been a practicing Methodist. You know, I mean, she has more going. Eh, Methodist Christian. Hey, sometimes the same thing. Rule. Yeah, well, you know, sometimes you just need to get into the country club, and uh, that helps out. <laughs> sometimes it does. Okay, but sometimes. <laughs> Just because you're the weird West, or the weird Methodist offshoot. I am the radical Wesleyan. That then became. It's so embarrassing, <laughs> and that's part. I mean, that's why Jim Wallace's book that I referenced before is so good. It is all these amazing people, these amazing stories, anti-slavery, pro-women, like, and they, it's not just like being pro-women today. Like, I mean, who isn't? It'd be a weirdo not to be. Um, but there are plenty. But yeah, I mean, and they're I mean, weird. Have you seen the yeah, character? and they're weirdos. They're all in Alabama or evidently in Sacramento holding a rally. Oh, that's the anti-anybody that's not white crowd. But in the 1840s, when women were allowed to, like, have children and sew buttons on the shirts, like, they're like, no, they should vote. 
They should hold office. They should X, Y, and Z. Like those people. And that's, I mean, that's, that's the curious case study that I think a lot of people in this Wesleyan world and the free Methodists and all those kinds of groups, how did that happen? This amazing left push from, from, I mean, they, they weren't like mainstream Christians. They were sectarian oddballs. How did that happen? And then all of a sudden, those are the Trump-supporting, anti-Muslim, keep women in their place, evangelicals. They're the weirdest of the weird. It's mind-boggling, and it is so depressing. So <laughs> depressing, I'll take another drink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we weren't allowed to drink at our college either. That, well, but we did senior year, didn't we? That did not stick. No, it did not, because beer is too delicious. But, I mean, that's... I mean, and, and this... So, and I will move into a different direction. You can pull me back when you need to. That's fine. In, in the realm of education, so, you know, I work in student development, and a lot of pub- public and private ed- higher education, um, they need students. And in order to get students, they need majors and curriculum that sell. So business, nursing, and anything where you can get a job right away is like the big sell. And so what they're sacrificing for that is critical thinking. What they're sacrificing is well-rounded education. And so what's being lost in all this, and I would say something that is important for everybody to have, is um, some understanding of religion in this country. Now, granted, I got my PhD in American (laughs) religious history, but I think, and I did that for a reason, is because to see these trends and to see how people have been treated in the name of religion is, I mean, to use the old history adage, like history repeats itself, blah, blah, blah. Those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And you think that it's just funny and stupid, but when you see what's going on now with Muslims, um, it's, it's pretty similar. <laughs> like it's, it's, it's not the Holocaust. It's the decade before the Holocaust where nobody cared, where everybody thought, oh yeah, I don't have as much money as I used to have, therefore somebody's at fault, or I don't have the job I used to have, or I'm not as safe as I used to be. So who's the the scapegoat? Jews, Muslims, just not me. Um, So we have become the most theologically illiterate group of people in the history of the United States. We have no idea not just about theology or the Bible or religion, but how Christians have interacted with others in the past, how Jews came to this country and found their way or didn't find their way in cities and in employment and all that kind of stuff. We have ignored this subject so much that um, we just don't care. We don't care about religion. We don't care about finding the subtleties of difference of different religious groups, which is why it's so easy to say all Muslims should be banned. Yeah, it's like 0.2%. 0.02% that we should, like, be worried about. And it's probably 2% of Christians that we should be worried about. <laughs> so we should actually be worried about dudes that look like me and you a hell of a lot more. Yeah, than shoot, uh, yeah. Like shoot up uh, random places. All the time. All the time. The dudes that look like us have done a hell of a lot worse over time. 
Um, but you can't be against us because we are white dudes and really, for better or worse, our demographic continues to rule the country. I think that's... I think that a lot of this that is being done in the name of religion is actually because of that very fact. Is the fact that actually we're not going to be this sort of we're not going to have this sort of power ever again as an ethnicity. Right. And also the ethnic the ethnic boundaries are shifting and changing all the time. You know, it's not like it's not like we all there. There's intermarriage. There's right. People aren't getting married, and people were so against it for reasons, right? Like, I mean, well, I mean, like, it's 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 ridiculous when you start like, thinking about people wanting to keep it pure. Well, what do they want to keep pure? Is it race? Is it religion? Is it culture? No, it's it's power. They wanted to keep the power pure for certain demographics of people. I, yeah. Yeah, so part of the title of this podcast is actually Ex Evangelical, and it is for a reason. Ah, all right. You know, we have this is the idea is, is that there is actually an expression of Christianity that is outside of this little bubble. Yes. That has, that has been created and given to given to us and formed um, and the, honestly if you're going to the thing about evangelicalism that I think is also very insidious is that if you do not fit the mold specifically yeah. as a man or a woman yep. you are going to be really uncomfortable with your life absolutely <clears throat> and I would say um, I don't that's why people leave that is in why, droves that's why that's why there's when you look at uh, the Pew Research Center their research on the rise of the nuns yeah our group yeah that's, that's our generation that have become disillusioned by the entire movement uh, because if you don't fit in, if you don't fit in politically, that's enough reason for you to begin to question things. If you don't fit in socially, if you don't fit in sexually, or gen- or even if you yeah, if you're, if you're a woman, you you've uh, you've got some problems from the start. Let alone because anybody who questions their gender, yeah, because holy cow, moving the mic, they have no idea what to do with that group of people. No, they don't at all. Except to say that they just are you're aren't, fearfully, yeah. wonderfully made, and you better enjoy the way you're made by the Lord Jesus Christ. Right, which is to be a straight whatever. Yeah, and that it's just embarrassing at this point. It is embarrassing. I mean, I want to say that I'm an evangelical still because I want there to be this movement of leftist evangelicals again, like in the 19th century that. Hold everybody correct. I mean, and talking to students, you know, at my college, they, they think that's, you know, change can't happen and thoughts don't matter. And blah. it's like, no, no, no. There was a group of people who 
before the Civil War were fighting not just for like freedom of, but a radical re-understanding of humanity. Because, I mean, it was, it was really true that people did not see African slaves as human beings. They thought they were something different. And this radical kind of like pushing the envelope of like, that is just totally unacceptable. That thought helped propel not the Civil War, but like the, getting rid of slavery. Like, and then seeing people as, and clearly we're not there even still. But the point is, thinking critically about these issues gets people more free, gets people more liberated. And unfortunately, established evangelicalism has done nothing but squash that. Gay issues, different religion, women. All of it. They just, they want power for specific categories of people. Yeah. No, power and what would be a very close power and the power to control people. Oh, yeah. It's it's all about controlling people's behavior. Not about... Deepening your individual relationship with Jesus Christ. No, and I think you make. And that's the that is like because that going back to college. What I remember about my own relationship with Christ at the time, which I do not, I do not think in those terms anymore. When it comes to God, I do not think in the terms of like. A relation in a individual relationship with Jesus. I, Heresy! Heresy! I'm just trying to figure. I'm just trying to figure out what I think about the idea of God half the time. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, like the idea of God, and also, basically, the ethical part of it. Like, if Jesus says this, what does that mean today for me? And that's about as far as I can go. I can't say what a wake up and say, "Good morning, Jesus." What are we gonna do today, buddy? <laughs> so, um, uh, but that is kind of the the thing. The reason I mentioned that before, before I started mocking it mercilessly, is <laughs> is that that sort of that sort of language is what's used to keep people in line but whenever you actually have an open dialogue with your own beliefs and your own, or you have an individual relationship with Jesus or whatever however you want to phrase it your mind is going to change absolutely so why are th- that is that to me is evangelicalism is in a constant state of arrested development Awesome show. <laughs> Great show. Such a good show. Shitty place to be. It psychologically. is. Yeah, no, that's so true. Um, and I think... I'm just, I mean, I'm just still perpetually confused by modern evangelicalism. So I think we've talked about this before. Is that So, I mean, clearly we've talked about our time in college and where we are now. I mean, Blake is like holding on to Christianity by a thread or whatever because he doesn't, you know, think Jesus is his boyfriend or whatever. That's right. Um, totally platonic. Yeah, I mean, like, just let's just keep we the relationship professional, right? Um, but I think that it's hard for 
dare I say, we ex-evangelicals to understand how people have not made this journey with us. Like, how can you not see the lies that you've been told? How can you not understand that Donald Trump? Really? You <laughs> real? That's your guy? I and I I've said this before at this table in a different room. I do not like Hillary Clinton, and I don't. I really don't. But Donald Trump? Are you kidding me? What a <laughs> moron! Um, but but I, how can you how can you just follow this line? Mass shootings, but it's all right. Donald Trump, he's racist, sexist, anti-immigrant, anti-people of different abilities. He's my guy. And just follow the train of thought and just totally ignore Jesus. Totally ignore the Sermon on the Mount. Totally ignore the Gospels. Totally ignore the New Testament. I mean, how can you logically do this? And I think the only explanation is, and it sounds arrogant, there's a rampant, steady stream of anti-intellectualism within evangelicalism. So people like you and people like me were heretics. People who challenge the, the standard power stakeholders are anti-Christian, unorthodox. Um, it's amazing yeah. that anybody who disagrees is all of a sudden no longer part of the fold. I mean, uh, Rob Bell... I mean, you know, whatever. I'm not, I don't read a ton of pop theology, but I know his stuff. And as soon as he came out with that book, Love Wins, where he mused that there might not be a hell, everybody, everybody who's evangelical who had a microphone or a blog or this or that, he's left the faith. No, he hasn't left the faith. He just said there might not be a hell. It's not even a new idea. It's as old as, like... 200 AD and was super prevalent in the 19th century but he's done with the difference because they're just vying for power and they just want to exclude somebody who uh, he says love wins there might not be a hell and oh my god maybe gay people should be allowed to get married and they can't stand that last point they can't stand the gay people can be married so just take all of it and wrap them up as a heretic and get rid of them which is exactly what happened and he um, now has now he has his own thing in California, and he's you know whatever. And I don't fault the guy. No, he was it's ridiculous. Good for, book for pop theology. I never. I I bought it. I'm just going to be snooty and continue to say pop theology. That's fine. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but it's fine. I mean, he's. Ex- I don't even agree with the dude, but I'm just saying he's exploring ideas, which is just off limits. It's just off limits for evangelicals. You don't get to explore ideas. You get to, and it's the Catholic Church, right? 2,000 years old. All right, they have some tradition behind what they say. They say that Paul the Apostle was the first pope or whatever, and that, like, there's been a line of secession. Okay, they have, like, 2,000 years of that. These evangelicals talk about you know, no hell or gay people can't be married and they talk about this history they have of this. What are we talking about? What are we talking about? In America? 400 years? You mean gay people can be married when you could also own somebody and beat the shit out of them and kill them and not go to jail? Like, that's their framework. They don't... They're just standing on a false understanding of history and theology and everything else and it's just bullshit. And if people don't... (laughs) 
<laughs> they don't look be- it's the same thing with the Marco Rubio shit if you can't get beyond the first 30 seconds of the soundbite yeah I don't know so should we close it out a little bit I think we should wrap it up alright what are your so this has been a free form absolutely definitely free form and thinking about these thoughts which is again an important component of things as you twist the button I'm not I'm not gonna twist the button don't twist the button but you're like actually your levels are consistently louder than mine so that's what I'm that's what I'm trying to test out that might be because I'm consistently louder (laughs) shut up yeah I talk louder so here's my final this is this is you're the host I'm gonna give you the final final thought okay here's my alright so wrapping it up with the current situation I think that even the evangelical block has lost enough people that it's we will see that this is no longer an issue. This is no longer a consideration. Donald Trump is throwing a Hail Mary with this bullshit of, I gave my heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, hallelujah, bullshit. And James Dobson and Jerry Falwell Jr. and all those people getting behind him, they are going to quickly realize how insignificant those numbers are. He's down in double digits to Hillary. He's not going to win the young group, the urban group, the people of color. And there are a lot of Hispanic women. women. And there are a lot of Hispanic people that are evangelicals, not evangelical fundamentalists, evangelicals. There are a lot of black folk who are evangelicals. There are a lot of urban white folks who are evangelicals and a very small minority are going to get on board with him. Um, I think that we are going to see a radical shift, not in... Sure, Republican Party, whatever, I don't care about that crap. And understanding what evangelicalism is. And I think they will find, after this election, they really don't matter. And they need to put their chips where it really matters. And gaining political favor and political power is no longer on the table. So what can be done? If they want to make abortion their thing, like they've been proposing... Since we've been born, all right, what are you going to do about it? But it's not going to be through electing Trump. So, caption that all off. Evangelicals losing influence. It's going to come to a head come December 2016. They are going to realize that they just don't matter. They don't matter anymore. They're a significant minority. So they need to learn how to accept other people because it's not going to be long until they're begging other people to accept them I would uh, piggyback on what you're saying and actually say well I would say that the fact that they matter less and less is a good thing not only is it, and it's a good thing because of the fact that now their ideas actually have to be more precise because they are competing in the marketplace of ideas, basically. Because it's not going to be a massive cultural influencer for much longer. They are going to be another voice that has to make their case for people to believe them. And to me, that will mean that they will have to look inward 
and really realize what they're trying to get people to vote for and all those other things. And I think that that evangelicals should try to extricate themselves from politics and just figure some things out for a little while. It's not going to happen like that. It's not going to be clean. But it might. I mean, it's going to have to, right? I mean, they're going to be forced into this. I mean, yeah, they're just going, they're going to have to do a, I don't want to call it a retreat, you know, like a strategic retreat. They're just, they're going to lose and they're going to have to have some introspection about why they're losing. They're going to have to rethink their position on things. Absolutely. And that's what they have to do. So, I don't know. I, I mean, it's, it's a messy history and... We'll see what happens next. This has been Exvangelical. This is your plan out music. Yes. It's good stuff. Very good. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening.